Welcome to Leaving Erinsborough, the Neighbours Rewatch podcast from the very beginning. I'm Sarah Gibbs. I am a writer uh, and Neighbours enthusiast. Um, and I have just uh, announced my new book, um, which is a romantic comedy. Um, so for Jane and Mike fans, it is not about that at all. But if you like that, you might like this. So uh, it's called Eight Bright Lights, uh, and uh, it is not out for ages. But uh, I just announced it, and I'm excited. So I thought I would lead with that because um, why? What else to do but self promote right at the top and put everyone off? Oh, I think it's very exciting, and fair enough. You should self promote. Um, Thank you very much. I'm Rachel Krieger. I'm a comedian and writer and Neighbours fan. And I am in the middle of working on my new show for This Is Edinburgh called Ultimate Jewish Mother. And part of the show is actually competing with someone to see who is the ultimate Jewish mother. And I was thinking I'd quite like to go up against Helen Daniels in that if it were (laughs) physically and humanly or in any way possible, because I think she bears quite a number of the qualities. I think physically you'd probably trounce her because she she did fall down a lot <laughs> i fall down a lot some people fall down a lot don't judge <laughs> the knee bends um <laughs> just uh put out a video of her just sort of um plant face planting all the time um for various reasons uh poor helen so we have some neighbors related news this week some some happy some very, very, very sad news as well. Um, so you know, a bit of a roller coaster yeah. week for neighbours fans. Um, we had the very sad news about Maxine Clibbengatus, who played Terry, um, who has very sadly um died at the age of fifty-eight, um, very suddenly. And so obviously, you know, we've we've watched these episodes really recently and we've, you know, we I know we spent quite a lot of Terry, yeah. time, you know, trashing the character. The character. Well, not we do realise, yeah, yeah, it's that's not yeah. the real person. So, yeah, no. our condolences to her family and friends yeah. and the people who really knew her. Yeah, and uh, you know, she she is an iconic, classic neighbours character, and uh, you know, we we are very grateful to her for for her contributions to the show that we love so much. Yeah, the catalyst um, for all future behavior yeah yeah absolutely there would be no villain paul robinson without terry so mm-hmm. um yeah um we are we're thinking of everyone who loved her and um stefan dennis paid tribute to her as well and obviously he's back on set um because neighbors is is back neighbors is filming again all is you know all is uh order is restored on the in the universe it's with... such a weird thing, isn't it? Because yeah. we were thinking recently about how with this podcast, I think we worked out I'd be 87 by the time <laughs> we finished recording it if we just kept going the way we are now um, in real time. So until we got up to where they said it was ending, it would have still taken until I was 87. But now they've restarted. Yeah. How long do these people want me to live? Like, seriously. <laughs> I mean, if they just do a couple of series, we're probably fine. But, you know, if they if it's another 30 something years, they're going to have to do some massive advances in medical technology. That's what I'm saying. 
oh no, they're in this forever. I'm not going through that again. <laughs> this is this is for keeps. Don't you ever dare cancel that show again. No, not I'm not having it. I'm not going through it. Like, they played with my heart once, um, and no more. Um, I I'm excited um, and optimistic about. You know, I know I know that people are are what's the word? Trepidatious is that a word? Yeah, that is about, a good uh, word about um you know that what what changes they might make and recasts and i don't want to spoil anything um because i you know i've seen a few uh casting spoilers and and things like that but you know i, I i'm optimistic i think it's good i trust the team behind mm-hmm. it and i'm excited to see what what they come up with and uh what happens to mike because uh, uh unless they've got and and uh, there's a there's a casting announcement which if you don't want to be spoiled I, I won't say anything but just um if you do want to be spoiled go and look up the latest casting announcement because there's a there's a very big get for neighbors even yeah. as a guest character so that's exciting it is exciting i feel like we have to look at it with fresh eyes because when mm-hmm. something's been off air and then it's regenerated in some way um then it's like there's new writers, there's new people involved in it, that actors are coming at it kind of fresh because it'll be directed slightly differently. Even if there's some of the same team, there's been a big gap. So I think we should give it a chance in its own right, do you know what I mean, to become its own yeah. thing. But totally. I have I have a little random fact. Um, today, 13 years ago, um, 19th of April 2010, I wrote a Facebook status about neighbours and I don't know what it means <laughs> on my What does it say? Let's see if we can work it out. It says Rachel Krieger. I, it was still at the time, Facebook was still newer-ish, I guess. You know, it hasn't been going that long, a few years. Yeah. So Okay, well, Rachel Krieger, that's you. That's so me. we've got. So the, I was just yeah. going to say, on statuses, we didn't realise you didn't have to speak in the first person, even though it's <laughs> asked you the question about what you were thinking. So Rachel Krieger Rachel is. Rachel Krieger is. <laughs> Wondering why today's episode of Neighbours was just a cheap knockoff of The Breakfast Club. It was not <laughs> worth the work distraction. Um, <laughs> oh dear. I had comments from two people which both didn't relate to Neighbours. They relate to The Breakfast Club. Um, one from my friend Sarah Sharman Moser saying, that was a great film. I think we probably saw it together. Um, I'll be honest, Sarah, um, that's my favourite film of all time. I've seen it nine million times. It's more likely I've seen it with you, if I know you, than that we <laughs> haven't seen it together. Um, and then from my lovely friend Marcel Barenblatt, I'm not a nymphomaniac, I'm a compulsive liar, which is a line from The Breakfast Club, but I don't remember it coming up in Neighbours. So, yeah, I wonder what was... I'll have to try and find out what today's episode of Neighbours in the UK was um, in 2010. Come on, nerds, you can do this. I could do it now. Neighbours nerds assemble. No, 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 just... uh, Yeah, why don't you tell me what do you think it was? Um, They do every so often do things that seem to be inspired by... Um, so yeah. yeah, this one felt like the Brexit Club. I assume it was some people in a single room um, having to talk to each other in an unexpected way and learning stuff about themselves. The 2010. Journey. That would have been around the time that Steph got pregnant with Libby's husband's baby. Was it? I'm very bad with dates, so um, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it affected okay. me well, so much that I made a status about it. As well you were saying. very angry about it. You were not happy. So, so yeah, if you do know, uh, 
tweet us at Leaving Errands or let us know in our private Facebook group, Leaving Errandsboro. You can search it. It's searchable but private. Um, mm. And uh, we, we want to know what what is Rachel talking about in 2010. Yeah. Um, huh. So we, so we go even further back in time. This is, uh, you know, like I always seem to find a theme through the cluster of episodes which we have watched. And my Mm -hmm. theme for this cluster um, is really weird music for what's happening in the background. (laughs) So weird. So I've mentioned that, I think, about five times. Um, Very weird music choices. So that's going to be my uh, recurring theme. And also very odd partnerships. Really, just so so many weird things going on. Um, I've I've I felt like last time it worked well when I talked in broad strokes and you talked in detail. Um, so I've I've done that again. Um, so I I've actually not gone through in detail and tried to remember everything. I've just rem- tried to remember what I can remember, and then we cover the important bits, and then we can get into all the things that I haven't noticed um, because uh, that's uh, I, it's actually an effort for me to notice stuff. Right. Um, I'm in- incredibly unobservant. It's funny because um, for me, um, and if you're listening, we're neurodivergent people, um, the not noticing is virtually impossible. Like the micro-noticing <laughs> of everything is just part of my genetic makeup. Um, so, but weirdly, not so much with people, like if, you know, there's that game, actually, you might have not have had sad childhood, but there's a game where you put a load of different objects from your house on a tray and you, and then you cover it with a cloth and you take one away and the person has to like, remember what was on it and then see which one's missing. That sort of thing. I'm not familiar or with that game. memorize the objects that yeah. are on the tray. Um, I can, I'm good at that sort of thing, but if I was ever... God forbid, the victim of a crime and they came for a description, I'd be like, I don't know, average height, average build, average eyes, average number of limbs, um, <laughs> average clothes. Yeah. See, my husband um, is like, anytime there's sort of any kind of crime, he's, he's I don't know, he's, it's, it, it, it spark something odd in his personality he is very observant about things like that he'll remember everything he'd be like he was about you know six foot three with mm. you know light brown hair and he had this distinguishing feature or whatever um Absolutely. but anytime he sees something happening he's like right i'm calling it in <laughs> like <laughs> like he's uh like he's some sort of police officer and then um when i say anything he's like i i, I was like why why do you have to call it in he goes because if i don't who will oh he sounds amazing really i need someone yeah. like him in my life he's a lot of fun um oh rosemary let's start with rosemary okay um before, we're wrapping up her before oh, anything we... else with rosemary i think we need to give credit to helen's large white sunglasses yeah they're excellent they're spectacular and yep. they they mean that there's a little bit of her in her heart carrying the Thelma and Louise vibe of her mm-hmm. great caper with madge that's in my that's what i think I desperately wish that sunglasses like that suited me, but they don't, unfortunately. They don't suit me. Yeah. Cat eye or nothing. But yeah, Helen looked iconic. Um, So Rosemary is still looking for her real mother, which she keeps saying. Birth mother. You could say birth. It's so insulting to her real mother who she's talking to. Um, So... 
this is this is the stupidest idea ever. Helen is like, okay, I'll take her to see her birth mother, but I'll tell her it's just a woman who knew her mother. Get this woman to tell her that her mother has died, and then the woman will talk about it in such obviously personal terms that, like, I, I don't know, would a would a toddler be fooled by that? It was it was so. If you're gonna do that, if you're gonna pull that shit, be good at it. Yeah. Maybe it was. I mean, I have to say, I did feel she took the leap in quite a what's the word on the nose kind of way. Like you mm-hmm. seem to know a lot about this. It's almost as if you've personally experienced it yourself, and you are my <laughs> mother. And I thought, okay, if you need that level of explanation, you probably ha- it's once it's tell and not show, then uh, yeah, yeah, it's all gone to pot a little bit. But I thought also there was. Um, the first this is the first music note there was uh, your classic mysterious music while um, um, Mrs Ambrose was you know going through what hypothetically potentially she vaguely remembers happening to the mysterious mother but she caved pretty fast like once yeah, it was pointed really out fast. and her justification was that was over 30 years ago. People didn't have the same understanding that they have now. And I was thinking, do you know what I haven't seen on Neighbours at this point in history? Modern understanding of no. things. No, and also, what like what, non- what a nonsense excuse. Because if that's true and it's ancient history and people are more enlightened now, then just, just be honest. Yeah, tell your <laughs> husband, when I was young, yeah. I made a little mistake. But I thought actually it was very sweet, Rosemary's speech about... Um, you know, but wouldn't their families have supported them and, you know, helped them to bring up the baby? I thought that was so, that was quite wistful yeah. and lovely. And that was a nice bit of acting um, before she realised that, in fact, she was a, a, a scandal and embarrassment. But she then immediately turned on Helen, which I do feel like you bite the hand that feeds you, don't you, really? That's, um, it's safe to be angry with her um, and sort of stomped off and left them there. But then I remember yeah, that Helen... Helen was walking home in her glamorous sunglasses. <laughs> Except Helen was driving. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that was a bad move. Don't walk out. Don't storm out if you're not the driver, because then no. Rosemary had to walk home. Poor Rosemary. I understand her being angry with Helen. I would be angry if, you know, she, all she had to do was say, look, I know where your mother is, but she doesn't like she, she's never wanted contact and I didn't want to hurt you but it, like she put her through this whole embarrassing charade where mm. it, you know it just was so unnecessary um I, I don't really understand Helen's logic no. for doing it's it that way it's fascinating when you think about how issue-led neighbors often is you know about confronting an issue um, a social issue and that this one is handled so clumsily um when you yeah. uh, haven't handled so- any of them well yet no. I, think, I don't think they've handled a okay. single issue well yet in this in this run of neighbours. Fair enough. No, but like they've often sort of been quite statementy about things like, yeah. you know, cycle carefully on the right side of the road. Actually, the cycling comes up uh, again in this. Oh, yeah, we'll get back. We'll get, uh, but, you know, I've got that in my notes. Um, you know, every so often there's a, you feel like it's sponsored by some kind of public service announcement. And I do feel like if you're going to tackle the thorny issue of, into friendship adoption in the 19 whatevers then i don't know maybe maybe do some research and <laughs> ask a few research. people how to address it I th- it feels like it was a very big issue dealt with in about 10 seconds in quite a cold a surprisingly cold way because even the things that have been handled badly 
Um, I feel like they've been handled by a whole group of people in a bad way. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. felt like it was a very enclosed, capsular story. Is capsular a word? I have no idea. Well, it is now. Yes. Two writers, and we, we don't know any words. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, it, it, she forgives Helen pretty quickly. Um, and then well, she, she has leaves, to. How's she so... getting home? <laughs> She's got her eye on those sunglasses. And also, it might be her turn to date Jim. Um, or, oh, my God. Or run Rosemary Daniels Corporation. Oh, no, it is her corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll come back to Jim. Let's let's talk about Max's health because this is the most appalling storyline that I think anyone's <laughs> ever done. This is a, this is unconscionable. So we start the fortnight with Max dramatically dying. Um, with with uh, in good old fashioned <coughs> neighbors. <laughs> so he go he goes cross-eyed, grabs his throat, and collapses. Yeah. I'm not sure what health condition causes you to. <laughs> do that um just uh, but max has it whatever it is whatever i'm not a doctor is. clive is a doctor he comes reveal. out <laughs> yeah this <laughs> comes out as a doctor i thought max was going to have an, another heart attack when he found out clive was a doctor we did have a clue because last time he did use the word contusion yeah yeah you don't use words like contusion unless you're a doctor that's mm. the law um, Max, he wanted people to know he was a doctor. He, you, you don't go about saying things like contusion unless you want people to. Go, oh, well, that's a very doctory word. Are you a doctor, Clive? He was, just, he was just waiting. He probably like poisoned Max so he could have his opportunity to. Um, but um, yeah, Clive, Clive is a doctor. Um, and Max is doing that middle-aged man thing of assuming that he's dying and refusing to see the doctor um, and just belligerently um, being extra unhealthy. <laughs> like, like drinking cream for breakfast and, like, you know, cream and beer. I like that he wanted and beer. Um, proof that Clive was a doctor. Like, what was he wanting Clive to bring him? All his certificates, um, phone call from his mum. And and then and the next assumption is that he must have been chucked out of a hospital for doing something terrible. Like there must be a scandal. He can't just be a doctor who, for whatever reason, is currently pausing from doctoring. But look, yeah. he said contusion. What more proof do yeah. you need? He said contusion. And then I, we know he's not a Jewish doctor because um, his mother would have phoned everyone. Well, he'd be wearing a T-shirt that says "My son, the doctor," wouldn't he? Um, yeah. And I love that um, after his um, collapse, well, let's, let's just call it a collapse, Danny brought over the family's first aid book, the medical book, and I think it might have been an ancient relic. I've never seen such an antique book, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, a lot of households have a first aid book in case of emergencies and, you know, it tells you roughly what to do if someone looks like weather. And this book that they have, um, the Ramses. I mean, it's got Brown's page. It's It looked so old. I can only imagine they had some work experience trainee actually with like wet tea bags aging it up a bit. It was yeah. immensely old. I mean, it probably said, you know, if your, foot is, if your foot is swollen, perhaps a dinosaur trod on it. Yeah, or, you know, <laughs> stick three leeches on it and, um, you know, bury it by midnight on the full moon. It was, it was very, very... I cannot stress the age of the book incredible um see this is the kind of stuff that i would never notice um so um max is kind of enjoying everyone fussing around him he's pretending not to but he is um he does go to a doctor but he encounters what i can only assume is yet another medical establishment ghost <laughs> that's literally 
I wrote. I wrote here um, the old lady talking about my husband was exactly like you. Um, I thought is she, I've written another angel of death like Kelly? Question <laughs> mark. Um, yeah, they they meet the the most messed up people, the Ramsey Street residents, the people who cannot possibly exist in real life. She is the worst possible person for him to encounter at that moment mm. because. Um, uh, this one wants Max dead, I, yeah. I think. Well, so me- doctors can't help you. <laughs> no, one just can just help go home you. and die. There hasn't been a Max <laughs> Ramsey here since nineteen eighty. Whatever it is, nineteen eighty five. So he he doesn't go to the doctor because the old lady gave him a story that didn't make sense about how her husband went and it didn't help him, but yet he is alive and um, and has left run off with the neighbour. Um, this yeah. whole storyline is very, very weird. But that um, was given like a punchline. This That whole yeah. scene was like she was a set-up and a punchline about, oh, no, you just ran off with someone. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the whole, the whole storyline is a punchline, really. Mm. After... So he he goes around sort of dramatically bequeathing things to people, yeah. and like his shitty possessions um, that no one that, that somehow everyone wants anyway. Yeah, even though and making yeah. dead jokes—that's his other thing. Like yeah. you know, um, I now can't think of a single one. Let me see if I wrote any down. Um, possibly not. It makes everyone reflect on their life, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And. Yeah, every time anyone says something like, oh, I'm dying to see you, he repeats it. Oh, dying, dying, to make sure you've understood the joke. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, he's the worst. Um, genuinely the worst. Um, he does give Danny an excuse to be casually racist about Chinese people. Yes, oh, I did write that one down. Let me find yeah. it. it was just a really and fat shaming about people in general. But, you know, that's it's the 80s. But the, the racism was... Was a, a, a little, little jarring. It was a very weird, kind of shocking comment. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, because I tell you what was missing. It would still have been racist, but it would have been marginally less racist if he'd referred to a Chinese person. Person. It was yeah. calling someone a Chinese. A Chinese. It, it, what the hell is that? It was very weird. Um, very dehumanizing and awful and uh i can't really not, not cool remember neighbors. that being all right in you know acceptable in no. the 80s but i mean i imagine i i wasn't a victim of that particular racism so i imagine there were people who were but yeah what horrible and really quite random comment it's the second egregiously racist thing against chinese people on the show right that i've noticed because like, the the first one they had that Chinese night at the cafe. Oh yes, but you, oh, they were all... you see that was of its time though, Sarah. Because I, yeah, as we all know, alive at that point, and um, people did do themey nights like a Mexican night, and people wearing sombreros and everything. And you look back on it now, and you think that seems so bizarre, but it was yeah, it was very normalized. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the sombrero thing. People still do that. It's like it's not great. It's in my book that someone does that, and it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, you, you know, it's not it's not endorsed. Yeah. It's like that. You know, the the slightly racist parents are doing this slightly racist thing. Um, but this is, you know, like the accent. And oh god, it yeah. was bad. Um, anyway, we don't need to relive that. Um, so. 
after after basically um walking around acting like the walking dead for um, a few weeks max uh, goes to the doctor and the doctor with the worst bedside manner in the world um makes it sound a lot like he is dying to be fair to max Um, he deserves it by that point after he's been meandering about making death jokes oh the death jokes come after this really um, the doctor fat shames him for a little bit um, and then tells him he has chronic indigestion. Mm. Now, Rachel, yes. I, I, I'm no stranger to indigestion and I have to question the authenticity of the portrayal of indigestion. I have never been indigested, mm. that's not a word, and fallen to the floor clutching my throat and going cross-eyed. My thought on that was that perhaps he's experiencing a bout of reflux, which if Maybe. he's not had that before, does feel like there's burning acid coming up your throat. What it, does. it doesn't it's feel like nice. by the sound of it is a heart attack. No. But yeah, that, I mean, I'm not a medical person, as anyone medical listening to this knows <laughs> immediately. But I do feel, yeah, that acting was weirdly directed. Um, I had a show on years ago called An Insomniac's Guide to Ambulances. And for the show, uh, it was a show about paramedics. We actually worked with paramedics from the London Ambulance Service who came over to kind of um, explore some of the scenes where there were incidents and accidents to make sure that we were realistic. And one of the scenes was a car crash and he said, uh, the person working with us, um, Alex Milner, said, so everyone should lie where they think they would be um, on the stage based on where they think they'd be if they'd been in the car crash. And then he had a good old laugh at everyone's like dramatic, <laughs> you know, portrayal with their arms flung out and there, whatever. And um, and then he's put everyone in the positions they might be in, which sounds really grim now when I think about it. But what I'm saying is... Yeah. <laughs> If, if you're going to portray something on stage or screen, you can just check it first. Yeah, yeah, you can. It, I mean, soaps are very fast production. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, I was going to say, quick Google, but it's 1986. We can give them a pass. They're probably working from that a very old medical Google. journal. <laughs> well, I, I, also, it does seem like panic attacks weren't invented because if, if he's having anything, he's having panic attacks. Yeah. That's, that's my diagnosis from a distance. Um, anyway... He's about to break the good news to his family that he is not dying. Uh, when Madge and Danny make comments about, oh, I feel so bad that I thought that you were making a fuss over something like indigestion and you're not. Mm. Now, I understand why he would then, you know, he has to eat some shit and it's embarrassing, right? Yeah. I get it. But also, fuck Mac, Max Ramsey and what he does next <laughs> to his poor family. Um, he exploits his next of kin into thinking he's actually dying um, and then uses this situation to get Madge to sign the house over to him. Mm. I think that is... It's unconscionable. Yeah. It's not funny. Expected, maybe, in terms of his his kind of constantly going on about... Hang on a second. I take back what I'm saying now. Because in the last episode or one of the last episodes didn't it turn out that actually they were already owned the house 50 50 51 49 at this point but he, he, he owns them he's the majority, the majority shareholder yeah so 
This is just about buying her out, her minority. Well, he didn't say anything about buying her out. No, he, he, well, he's doing it at the cost of yeah. it is his mortality. This is a deal with the devil. It's evil. It's actually evil because mm. he's not he's he's not dying, so he's just he's he, yeah. Anyway, I, I, letting your children and sister think you're dying because you don't want to admit that you made a bit of a fuss about nothing mm. is. Oh, like, I know, I know, it's played for la- played for laughs, but it is objectively terrible. As someone who's lost a parent, um, like I'm trying to imagine, like I'm, I'm, t- I'm bringing it, the mood way down here. I'm trying to imagine if my dad had like told me he had cancer, and then a few days later was like, "Oh, I just didn't want to tell you it was acid reflux. Sorry." Yeah, and like he'd used that to get me to sign over, like. A, a very expensive property like would you ever speak to that person again no it's no, no it's obscene yeah anyway max is going to hell um i don't know jews don't have hell but he's not jewish so off he goes um but so, i feel yeah. that i'm gonna put a hypothesis out that we will address later i feel that even though it turns out max isn't dying and he's fine a replacement max is appearing on the scene in terms of another character and how they are, are developed. So that is my spoiler for later in okay. this episode. I'm, I'm excited about this and curious. My theory. Um, so the teen gang, let's get, let's get the boring, the boring, the boring lines out of the way. The teen gang, uh, Mike moves in with Daphne and Clive, something yeah. about his foster parents locking up plates. I wasn't really listening. Um, Scott uh, is a nervous wreck about his exams. You are like um, whizzing through this. I know because I, I just hate the teens. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> because like, I know they they will get more interesting, but right now they're not interesting. Well, I don't know about that because first of all, you have um, the mysterious um, music, like this is a psycho thriller with <laughs> um, a strange character in the cu- hiding in the oh, cupboard. Yeah, um, and and. and and Daphne's eating an apple in a manner that made me root for whoever was about to kill her. <laughs> I mean, she does two bits of um, acting in capital letters in this. One is that, and another one is, at some point, pruning a bonsai tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we have, um, yeah, the scary music, um, like there's a murderer in the cupboard, but, of course, the murderer in the cupboard is only Mike, who... I don't know why he's hiding in a cupboard. He's run away from his care home, but there is absolutely no reason, given his relationship with Clive and Daphne, why he couldn't knock on the front door and just say, it wasn't <coughs> working out. Um, is there any chance I can kip here? They weren't nice. They locked the food cupboards and I wasn't allowed keys to the front door. There's no problem with that. So this whole business is so weird. <laughs> Um, I completely forgot about all of that. Yeah, that's very. Awesome. It's the second time they've done that with Daphne as well. Like, made it seem like there's some sort of prowler or intruder that wishes her harm, and then it's just been like a teenager who needs her help. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, in terms of yeah, and you went like, oh yeah, and, uh, what's his name? Scott has this breakdown about his thing. The the home the thing with Scott and his exams and the homework to me was completely gripping. Um, really? I felt like the opposite to you because um, they the, the build up of it is really intense. So, for example, 
there's been a whole business about Scott having a tutor to help him with his maths, but actually Danny's <coughs> not doing the homework. There's like a whole subterfuge going on, and then uh, Jim finds out and stops the tutoring. But via um, Max, but because second reason Max is going to hell. Another reason. Well, there's such a long list. Um, but um, Scott is under more and more pressure. I think you don't notice it because Jason Donovan Scott is so moany. But yeah. he's getting more and more and more stressed, and they do this weird build-up where it's fifty percent, and this is Jim's awful parenting yet again terrible 50 percent. jim saying you've got to do your homework do you want to end up a loser like your brother who seems to be running a massive corporation and doing all right for himself do you want to be floating from thing to thing like paul you have to do your work and at the same time he's like okay jim uh scott you have to wash up but i've got four assignments to do dad doesn't matter won't take you long do the washing up for the whole family jim could do the washing up if scott's got four assignments and then uh, every time he's trying to work, something else happens. Um, uh, uh, Jim wants to take them fishing. Um, Nikki and Scott and whoever wants to come to go fishing for the weekend while Scott is saying, I've got homework, I've got an exam next week. No, um, every time Scott wants to do his homework, there's like dramatic 80s music. <laughs> um, uh, you know, So we know that it's a big thing. And even the day of this fishing trip, um, weirdness, is that Scott, it turns out, sleeps in full pyjamas, but with pyjama top open, which seems weird to me. Just sleep in the bottoms. That's a separate matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, it goes... Maybe he just his arms were cold. Maybe. But it, it builds up and up and up. Every time he's trying to work, they don't allow him to work. But then if he is working, the moan he's not working hard enough until he gets to what I've written, his totally expected breakdown. Uh, yeah. where he walks out of the exam and um when he talks to paul about it um jim says well you know of course it used to be fine to walk out of exams which i wasn't aware was ever a thing i pretty was much it? thought you were always meant to take the exam yeah yeah it i mean jim jim handles the whole thing horribly you're absolutely right jim is a horrible parent i, he, I they set him up as like the good dad at the beginning of the show so it's really jarring watching his fall from grace um yeah and they, even nikki and mike are more understanding and compassionate and danny and you know all the, the people his own age than his own father who's well, like still there in the playground and clive right clive saying you know i've seen i've seen kids have breakdowns over less yeah with lots of quirky music it was sort of quirky, really quirky little music yeah. i've seen and when he said that about people seen kids who are even less stupid than Scott, you know, have a breakdown. <laughs> um, so that was also, by the way, when we talk more talking about the young people, um, how long do you think Mike was standing in that cupboard? Because as he found, I wasn't sure when he was found, um, <laughs> but he'd been in that cupboard for quite some time when he was being the intruder. And Clive says to him, you know, when they're saying about... Um, uh, he's he's run away and he turned up there clive said and you thought impersonating a broom would make it easier and i thought <laughs> that was really hypocritical coming from somebody who dresses up as a gorilla or a chicken for their living um yeah it is how is that better than a broom clive but also um interesting fact is that daphne then makes clive breakfast um yeah, um, yeah, she's, she's that, back in servant night, role. Yes, he comes in and he says to her, are you, some, you know, basically, are you going to make me dinner? And she says, a sandwich is all right. 
let Clive make himself sandwiches. Why have you got to make yeah. sandwiches for him? I mean, even if he's the most incompetent cook in the whole world. He can make his own sandwiches. Yeah, there's a, actually there's an episode of the Barefoot Contessa. And if you like cooking programs, <clears throat> Isa Garten, Barefoot Contessa, where she teaches people how to make a tuna sandwich. As in, you get a bit of bread, you get some tuna, mix it with mayo, put it on the bread, put the other <laughs> bread on. <laughs> so, like, you can get help if you need help with that. But seriously, if he if he passed medical school, but he can't put a bit of meat or something in two bits of bread or a vegetable, you know, for our vegetarian yeah. listeners. Um, really. Anyway, and then so she he gets her to make him these sandwiches. The next morning, she's making him breakfast. What is wrong with her? Just, just her role, isn't it? I, in the in the kitchen. I feel like I've went, gone on a massive rant. So if you, I hope you, I hope you all enjoyed my rant. Um, I can't promise it's the last. I enjoyed one. it. Thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, Nikki and Mike are now into each other. Um, yeah. for Nike some reason. Or Mickey. Um. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go with Mickey. Um. And uh. Yeah. That's that's about all that I. I don't care. I don't know how you can't care when there's so much going on. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. It's just the, the this teen gang not doing it for me yet. Um. They're not doing anything interesting yet. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Helen and Shane um, is another little side plot. Helen decides to bankroll Shane's chauffeuring business. I'm confused about this money. I thought that Jim embezzled money from his company to pay for a deposit for Helen and Douglas that that Douglas was going to pay him back. And the money she got back was that money that was embezzled from Jim's company. Okay. So why does she now have investment money for There was Shane's some kind of resolution business. about the the company. I don't remember what it was. But yeah, yeah he invented saying? that weird little thing, but like even then, why does she have the money? It's still Jim's money. No, because he also took her money. Did did she has money no. and well they've got yeah. I think there was two Hmm. Yeah. Um, if anyone knows where who it just seems to be sort of um i guess Chekhov's money whoever like whoever needs it like it, it appears and then it, it reappear later for whatever people need well yeah i mean my i mean i don't want to upset anybody i have another podcast it's not adultery or anything between me and sarah we knew about it from the beginning um my other co- podcast uh, co-host philip simon and i do a lot of, uh, have done a lot of gigs for each other comedy gigs for each other which all um pay 150 pounds so we decided that maybe one day we should have a bank account that has 150 pounds in it and whoever's done the last gig that that's who it belongs to <laughs> It's a good plan. Mm. Um, so, sounds like how the the Robinsons manage their finances. Um, so Helen is going to buy Shane a car and then keep fifty percent of his profits, which seems kind of like a raw deal for Shane. I mean, I think she's employing him to work as a chauffeur, so she's the boss, mm-hmm. so she's going to deal with all the running costs and supply the car and right. everything. Um, what is fascinating as a writing choice for this particular storyline is the idea of them pretending to the car lot uh salesperson that they are a couple yeah i enjoyed that a lot shane should be so lucky 
yeah, quite right. And there's a lot of arms around each other and gazing. And, and she's got, of course, the magical sunglasses. Um, yeah, it was... But I'm not sure why it was necessary. Like, I don't think it was going to secure them a better deal on the car than just her being a knowledgeable person who knew what she wanted. Because that was the reason they yeah. got a discount on the car was because she knew what she wanted and she didn't stand for any nonsense. And she said, this is how we're going to walk away unless you want to pay... And we, unless you want me to pay this amount, um, so it was just like an additional bit of fun. The fakey relationship. I think she was just enjoying looking like she had her toy boy. I think she, I think she was just enjoying how that made her feel. And good on her. Let's just call them Shellen or yes, Hain. I actually think Shellen works for this. I think Helen can do better, but <laughs> but you know, for for a little fling, why not? Um. Let's 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 say another another odd uh, love situation. Uh, Jim, Zoe, and Madge is the weirdest love triangle I think Navis has yeah. ever done. Uh, maybe not. Maybe Leo, Paul, and Therese was weird, but this is this is odd. That was no very yes. This that was weird, and this is also super weird. Um, I can see why Zoe might want a sensible older man, um, yeah. in some ways, but. Yeah, it's completely bizarre. I'm just trying to find my notes on it. Um, yeah, so I thought she when she had a conversation with... Oh, here, I've written Zim and Joey. <laughs> I was trying to work out what would be best because there's also obviously Mim and Jadge. Jadge. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Zim and Jadge, <laughs> those are the best Jidge. names. Jidge sounds dirty. It's, it's so weird because um, Zoe has this strange like Zoe I don't think she's even spoken to Madge has she engaged with Madge at all in previous episodes I don't really remember there being a particular thing between them but she gets Madge to help um with what she wants to wear for this big date she wants the dress altered a bit and also she wants some of her stuff changed so she looks a bit more mature for her new role as uh, Paul's secretary and um then Madge realizes that she's mending the clothes or altering the clothes for Zoe to wear for her date with Jim, who she also likes. It was quite a cinderella -y. Um mm -hmm. But she, you know, she's the bigger person. She doesn't do anything to sabotage it. She looks after the dress. But it's more the interactions between Zoe and Madge, which I find really peculiar because there's an implication that they know each other really, really well. Like um, Zoe says to her something like, oh, you know me, Madge. I can't even thread a needle. And I was thinking, yeah, how would Madge they just met. know that about her in any way? It was, um, yeah. yeah, come on, Madge, you know me. I can't even thread a needle. That was it. And I it's, thought, it's sort of an engineered closeness to say that this love triangle makes, like, hits harder. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. I, I, I don't understand what ages the characters are supposed to be. So the way they style Madge, mm. they make her look... And and this is no disrespect to Anne Charleston, mm -hmm. but the way that they've styled her, they've styled her in quite an elderly way, yes, right? Hundred percent. I am. I was. I felt she. I thought she was Helen's generation. Yes, but in fact, I thought so too. It seems she must, and logically, she must be Jim's generation because she's close in age to Max, who was at school mm -hmm. with Jim. Yeah. So who's older? So. Mm -hmm. Madge is older. Older than Max. Madge is the yeah. Yeah. So so she's, you know, she's probably a little bit older than Jim. 
But the way that they style her and the way that they style Jim makes them look like they're in different generations, right? Definitely. And then Zoe could be maybe five years younger than Jim. I, only in, five years younger? I would have said like 10 or 15 years younger. Do you think? Well, she's more like I, It's Paul's really hard age. for me to tell. Yeah, I, I can't really tell. I think she's like Paul's age or like she's um, old enough to be his much younger daughter. Okay. So, ah, oh, like the whole thing is a hot mess, really, isn't it? Like, I don't see Jim with either of these people. No. Um, it's not, like neither feels like a good fit, like personality-wise, visually, anything. Like it's all very jarring. He should have just stayed feels very shoehorned. Yeah, someone. What does Jim want with? So is it just that she's young and hot? I mean, I guess yes, and also um, she's not criticizing him; she's telling him he's oh, yeah. amazing all the time. I mean, yeah, people do, do like that. Yeah, people people do, men do. Um, so yeah, Jim, Jim, basically picks Zoe. Right, he asks her on a date and. Uh, now he appears to be dating Zoe, which is a really odd... I don't know, it makes me feel uncomfortable, the coupling. I don't know why, mm. the age difference or the power difference or the fact that she dated his son, or I don't know. Um, and Madge is triggered, right? Yeah. Like, as an older woman, she's, you know, it, it's whose husband left her for a younger woman. She's she's triggered and she's worried about how she looks. And, Seeing history you know, repeat, potentially repeating itself. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and she drops a lot of hints, and Jim doesn't get it at all. Mm. You know, she's like, "Oh, you know, I guess some men like this," and he's like, "Oh, some men don't know what they're missing." It's like, <laughs> Jim, like, y- come on. Well, it's Jim in it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about any of this. It does. None of it feels in any way real. To, I don't believe that any of these people would ever date each other i just don't, don't I mean, that's it. that's a running theme isn't it in terms yeah. of you like you don't it's very rare to feel that there's a genuine relationship like i felt the des and daphne relationship was very believable yeah. but like the big uh you know shocker of this lot is that daphne and shane getting back together 10 seconds after her doomed wedding um and they have while they had kind of quite flirty chemistry in the early days, they have minus zero chemistry now as actors in these scenes. In oh, my it's awful. It's, it's awful. Special. And they've been going, and, you know, she's agreed to go back out with him and just, you know, take things as they come. And about literally within two seconds, he's proposing to her and then phoning her all night booty calls about um, how much he loves her. And I wanted, to, I don't, honestly, I've written in massive capital letters here, Daphne, it's okay to say no. And it's okay, yeah. everybody and neighbours, it's okay not to get married. You don't have to get <laughs> married 10 seconds after you meet people. Like, honestly, or even if you've known them for 10 years, if you don't have to immediately marry everybody who shows no. the slightest interest in you. You don't. I mean, and really I say don't. this you as someone... Give it a couple of weeks. I say this as someone who got married to a boy I went to primary school with. <laughs> You know, that we always say, well, oh, how did you two get together? I don't know. We met and then 19 short years later, sorry, 15 short years later, we got married. Um, but 
um yeah you don't have to it's okay to say no to people if they want to date you and it's also okay to not get married let that be a, a lesson to everyone listening and to all future neighbors characters maybe i should email it to the writers of the new show um it's okay you can say no you don't have to get married but um then shane goes off to do his like confession to des and zoe's so shocked that she squeezes eggs and breaks them. And I feel like the entire scene was set up for that to happen. That's what I felt <laughs> because of her going and getting the eggs. And she's holding them in such a weird way that it's like someone, it was in the script is what I'm saying. Yes, basically. Zoe breaks eggs. Everyone in this situation is terrible. Like Daphne is terrible because she's transparently using Shane to get over Des mm. um, and doesn't really want to be with Shane. Shane is terrible for pestering Daphne into getting together when she's clearly vulnerable yeah. and then pestering her to get married um, and then going and announcing it to Des before he's, he even has an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, Daphne is terrible for then going and asking Des to get back together while she's considering marrying someone else. And when he's like, no, dude, you're, you're marrying someone else, then going and saying yes to Shane. And then... I mean, that scene self- had uh, two shocking moments for me. One was Daphne saying to Des do you mind if I make myself a cup of tea? Because that's the first time she's not offered to make somebody else what they want instead of herself. But also her saying, couldn't we just turn the clocks back? When she's the one who's literally been saying to him, it's a definitive no. There's no way yeah. I want to be with you. You've lost your chance. You've missed your moment. If you wanted us to be together, you should have waited at the church. Um, you know, like she's reiterated over and over again. No means no. Very important statement. And then she ruins feminism for everybody by then going actually yes yeah mm. that's it Daphne you killed feminism yeah it's your fault it um it's it is pathetic um sorry Daphne it's terrible and um and then she when he says no she immediately goes and says yes to Shane yeah. and then she spends the rest of the fortnight self-righteously telling everyone who'll listen that she's really she knows what she's doing and she's sure about it yeah. okay all right uh, let's see how that works out um lucy lucy is the only one reacting normally so it was really interesting because i'd written why is no one mentioning lucy is she still vanished and then about two seconds later she reappeared so i felt like i'd manifested her um yeah that she's back from lucy's back from uh, julie and then but initially only des could see her so i wrote is lucy another ghost that only des could see <laughs> is lucy like the voice of his conscience Um, because she's like, I hate you both for being uh, engaged to Daphne and then not engaged to Daphne. You're both ridiculous, you and Shane. Um, Yeah. But no, Lucy is apparently there. Lucy is back. Lucy is back. Um, Okay, let's get into this. Who is this weird kidnapping lady? Um, What is happening? Is, Is this her child? Why? Why would the police be looking out for her? Why does the child have to dress like a woman? Is this Des's child or is this a, a, a con? What's What's going on here? There's a, a lady shows up with a with a with a boy, and now Des is a dad. What? Well, it starts off with um, this woman who none of us know who she is, meeting a very naughty boy at a stables, 
and that's what made me think of Lucy actually because I thought she's the sort of kid who would be at her stables so that's where I thought that storyline was going because uh, I couldn't remember it from the past um, and I thought it'll turn out that Lucy's working at the stables and that's where she's been all this time no it's a small rude child she says all this about the police are on to us we've got to travel you're going to have to be in costume and then she dresses him up as Kylie like she puts a car. Yeah. I mean, and we don't even know. Um, we don't even know Charlene at that point, so we don't know that there's bubble curls. Uh, on their maybe way. this is Charlene. Maybe uh, this is how she's introduced. I haven't seen those episodes. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, making the space for Charlene with the hair, um, and then yes, yeah, she turns up, and also she doesn't comment on the fact that she's turned up at Des, who she seems to know from back in the day, and he's in his house alone with a 11-year-old girl, or however old she is, Lucy, um, who seems to be very at home. Like, there's no kind of, isn't that weird? Because that is weird. I'm not going yeah. mad, is it? That is weird. And he's like, it oh, is this very, is Lucy very weird. from next door. Like, oh, what, yeah. yeah, why is she hanging out with Des on her own, the single man who isn't related to her? Yeah. And then, um, and then we learn... That I mean, I did write here that Andrea sits on the kitchen counter because I really hate it when people do that in anything. It's very unhygienic. Um, that Bradley is a very naughty boy, and Lucy likes a bad boy. That's what she does. She does. Oh, Lucy, she was so close. We was she was so so close to being the most enlightened. I mean, she's only what nine, so that's a ten, whatever. Just give yeah, her a little. give her a pass. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and a lot of us do like a bad boy. At, we age. do um we do and at older ages as well yeah. um then, lots of us were a lot older than that before we worked it out true and then the kind of idea that he would be des's son um is floated by andrea and the evidence like they don't go on um jeremy kyle or a tv show to expose this there's no oh what's his name the american one um with a, uh, Jerry, Springer? Jerry Springer none of that right there's no request for a DNA test How did they have those in 1986 yeah they did okay they didn't have DNA yeah. tests. I mean not like now where it will tell you you're 5% Ashkenazi and 10% more likely to have the kind of heart condition that causes you to grab your throat um, <laughs> the evidence that's given is that Bradley cups his ears and the idea is that Des's ears are so abnormally um, Dumbo like that this kid, when he cups his ears, also, it was just so weird. I've never, if you ask me, can you describe Des? We have established that my witness credentials are poor. But <laughs> I wouldn't say, yeah, and his ears are unthinkably large and they stick out so no. much. Like, he's practically like a vase you could lift with two handles. Um, but No, it's not one flap of the ears away from takeoff, is he? 100% not. But then uh, Bradley does, you know kind of moves his ears forward and that is all the evidence anyone needs that he must be <laughs> the son of Des. Just, uh, it's, it's Genius. all in the ears. No two people in the world apart from them have those ears. And the burden, burden of proof in Erinsborough is very, very low with medical things. If you say contusion and cup your ears, then there is no need for any kind of evidence of any kind. That is it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very confused as to whether this is I think it must be a con, but like, because I don't think Des later has a child, yeah. but um, Des is, Des is uh, a very trusting fellow. Um, and what, what I want to say um, about Des is this is the third time 
the third strike of Des allowing some random person to move in with him without asking the other person he lives with. Now, once is a mistake. Okay, I've done it once. Once is like, that's a life lesson. That's bad form. You don't do that again. Twice is is a pattern. Mm. Three strikes, Des. Come on. Yeah, it's a poor show. Um, really poor show. Piss poor, Des. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is very weird. But to answer one of your questions from an earlier episode about the numbers of people who've jilted him, is that in their intense conversation, there is an implication that um, he was with Andrea and she was one of the people who ran off. Um, but he, if like, she but was, kind of jars with him not recognising it because I think and not remembering her name. No, even if like even with the speeds that people get engaged in the neighbours multiverse, you would think that you would remember someone you were in a serious relationship with. But she was like, we you would know together. their name. She says something like, we weren't together that long, and then he says, yeah, and then you ran off or something, or then you know, and you were one of those. There is an implication she's one of his failed you know, 500 marriages or whatever it's meant to be. Yeah. Why didn't he just, they had just, this is what I don't understand. This is the same as when Daphne's grandfather, and he's, I'm your grandpa or oh, whatever his must name be, is. If you say so. But like, why not just have him say, Andrea, and then, and then have the storyline that they were together and he like, yeah. have him actually remember her. Why have him get her name wrong and her correct? What's that for? Yeah. Who's that for? Unless it's um, one of those things where it's like negging because she hurt him so much, you know. So yeah, he's like, could be. He wants to say, "Oh, Alice, Amanda, um, yeah, you know, whatever," so that she doesn't feel like he's spent too many times over these past years thinking about her. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, so Bradley is a little shit, mm. a little, little piece of shit. Uh. I hate him, um, and uh, I hate his mother, and um, I don't look. I don't condone hitting children. Obviously, obviously, do not hit children. This child, um, everyone, I think four different people have a have a little swing at him at some point. Four different adults, right. and I, I'm not sure I blame them. I've put so this is what I wrote here. Bradley is the new Max. That's what they're setting him up. <laughs> Miserable, mischievous, good sense of humour, cutting lines. His his the dialogue between him and Helen um is amazing. I don't know why I didn't write any of it down, but he's like he's on it like a car bonnet, Matt, uh, Brad Bradley, Mini Max, I think I'm gonna call him, with his <laughs> um sarcastic lines. He's a brilliant actor. He fakes being hurt and injured, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I mean he doesn't yeah. say, Oh, I think I've got heart disease, but uh yeah. Bradley, Bradley is a new Max. That's my. I'm putting it out there. I think Bradley's days are numbered, and here is for why. Mm. Um, the last child on the street, the last little boy around that age, who was obnoxious, who was friends with Lucy, mm. uh, who had a parent who wouldn't hear a bad word about him, and who rode his bike in the wrong place. He got squished. Is Just it? saying, pretty quickly, he got squished. I've, I've um, put Bernie Sutton yeah. in my notes next to uh, he's writing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I write Bernie Max Bradley bike on platform. Oh, sorry, on footpath. Mm-hmm. I can't read my own writing, but that is because I am dyslexia. Um, riding bike on footpath, and then I put in brackets Bernie Sutton. Yeah, 
Yep. It, he's he's a goner. I'm just I'm calling it now. Uh, he's got the worst kind of mother. He's like, you know, don't you say a word about my son when her son is like obviously and demonstrably terrible in front of her all the time. He is terrible, uh, yeah. but she does stand up to him, and then she does a big squaring off with Helen, who says, "I'm always honest to people once they're inside my house," which we know is not <laughs> actually true. Um, uh, and um, and she, instead of saying to her, "They've literally just met," she could have said to her, "How are you doing? Must be hard being a single mother. Do you ever find it tough disciplining your child? Do you want any support?" She's like, "Bradley's a terrible human being, and I hope evil befalls him." <laughs> I'm honest with people when they come to my house. It's very odd. Outside, I'm a compulsive liar. But when they're in my house, yeah. truth bombs. <laughs> Nothing but truth bombs. No sugar coating here, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, your son is a little piece of shit and you are a terrible mother. She could have approached that better. But also, she's right and Bradley is terrible. She calls him Bradley the bad, um, which is unforgivable. Just call him Badly. Badly! Like, if, if you're going to do that, if you're going to go there, Helen... Please pun uh, in an acceptable matter. Please, Ma- matter? please matter? pun matter. responsibly. Yes, exactly. Uh, that is the that is the pious message of of this block of episodes. Is sponsored by the National Pun Council of Australia. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm eyeing them. But I just felt sad for the whole situation there. Um, but uh, was I going to say something about Bradley there? Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting with Helen, the the judgments of single parents and other single parents. And just because the kid is more annoying doesn't mean that that mum doesn't need maybe a bit more support and intervention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like this trope of someone showing up um, and saying like, oh, you know, you never supported me and my child and now it's your turn when they didn't tell them about the child. Oh, yeah, that's always awful. I agree. Like, you can't you can't have both. Mm. You can't, you've got, you got to pick one. But I, I don't believe that Bradley is his... I, 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 I mean, look, I know we've seen a very reliable DNA testing method. <laughs> uh, he cupped his ears and who him. am I to argue with that? But um, I, 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 would like, I would like to see some evidence. A broken condom Something. from, uh, yeah, anything. Um, have I missed anything? Have we have we covered? Well, have we covered you've always all? missed something because my notes are so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, allow me to look and see what are my moments that we haven't been mentioned. That we haven't been mentioned? That we haven't mentioned. I mean, there was also this various other bits of sad music. Um, there was, uh, we haven't really discussed why everyone was so keen on Zoe becoming Paul's PA. Um, because that seems to be quite a running theme for the first four or five episodes of this um, 10. Um, why were people so happy for her to go and work for What is it about her? Rosemary, who also doesn't know her, suddenly thinks she's the best secretary anyone's ever had. Um, so that was that. Um, oh, um, Zoe and Des have a funny conversation when Des is really depressed after his upsetting conversation with Daphne. Um, Zoe says to him, you know, my uncle used to say, when you're down, there's only one place to go and that's up. And Des says, oh, is he a philosopher? And she replies, no, a coal miner, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. Um, that made me laugh. That was very good. Um, we have a statement from Rosemary. Had I never met my real mother, I might never have realised how special Mrs. Helen Daniels is. 
which I thought was maybe a formal way of saying something nice. Um, Paul's antics through this, he's very um, much a sub-character in these episodes, but he's busy showing how terrible an employee he is in every way in terms of, you know, giving away customers' names and um, being a rubbish boss and, like, you know, being insubordinate. You know, constantly telling, saying no to Rosemary and telling us just what everything he does makes implies that he's a terrible customer. Um, oh, Shane snogs Daphne in the kitchen at the cafe, and in a romantic way, pulls the hatch closed that like looks through into their bar area in the cafe. But the hatch makes a really, really loud noise, and no one comments on that. You know, so it doesn't uh, spoil their weird romantic clinch. Um, Paul's secretary that he gets rid of is called Sue. I found that funny, Sue the secretary. (laughs) Maybe everyone everyone found that funny. Are you enjoying my little catch-up bits here? I really am. Um, Nikki um, goes to say goodbye to everyone because she's going to school. And then Helen says, well, will you be back? And she says, probably tonight. And I thought that was excessive farewelling for someone who's literally just going to school. (laughs) Um, And uh, then there is a side plot happening, setting up that her mum's coming to visit. uh, Because she mentions her mum two or three times, but her father's dead. um, No idea what my mum's like. I don't even care. Um, but we hear there's a conversation between um, Helen and her mum, and her mum's going to come and visit, especially to see her. Um, but um, the big thing I'm amazed she didn't pick up on, if I'm honest, is Clive's amazing <laughs> new business idea. Um, I feel like there's always a new business idea, and this was fantastic. Um, Clive's new business idea is basically car bumper Tinder. Um, <laughs> that you get bumper stickers that say, you know, I'm John, I'm single. Here's my phone number. Call me for a date, and you put it on your on your car. So when you're stuck in traffic, the person behind you can think, "Oh, I'll give John a call." What a brilliant idea! So there was no such thing <laughs> as uh, Tinder and stuff back then, um, or Grinder. Why not? Let's all hinge or any of the apps. Um, I'm sure more apps are available. But his idea is um, if you put it on the bumper sticker of your car, it's going to get everyone together. How he's personally going to make money out of this, I'm not entirely sure. Um, (laughs) He's going to sell the bumper stickers that people could just make for free. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe he'll be the person who arranges Gorilla Grams uh, at their engagement parties. Um, So, yes, I thought that was hilarious. And uh, the final thing I've written here that we haven't really mentioned, apart from the many celebrations for Shane and Daphne, which include champagne, um, are Shane asking Max for permission to go and call Maria. Um, you know, is it right if I go and phone mum to tell her about the engagement? And Max's reply is, sure, just don't be too long. Don't keep her yakking. And I thought, really? It's, <laughs> Lovely. It's, let him say he's got engaged. Let them talk for as long as they need to talk. But yeah. Sharma. There you go. Those are- Max going to hell. We should really have some kind of um, incidental uh, music. Oh, I have one. I found another thing I haven't scribbled out here, which is that Lucy is still the one who's observant about everything. Like she sees through Max's, Madge's intentions towards Jim. Like she notices yeah. all these things. The only thing she can't see is uh, the truth about Bradley. Yeah. Um, because that's what happens once you put those heart shaped spectacles on. Yeah, the heart's involved, I'm afraid. It's all over for Lucy. Yeah. All the common sense gone. She is the Greek chorus of the of the show, isn't she? Is she gonna She is. Like, I'm very glad delivering she's back. Little... 
Yeah. Yeah, I missed her. I'm not looking forward to her being recast eventually. I'm stressed about that, but hopefully it won't be for a while. Yeah, I can't remember when it was, but uh, yeah, I I did. I was trying, I was on the radio last week uh, on my usual slot on Radio London and on the show, we were talking about Neighbours. I can't remember why it came up, but it was almost definitely my personal fault. Um, But we were chatting (laughs) about Neighbours and... um, I can't remember how I brought it up. <laughs> but I bring it up all the time. Carpet Martin, who was one of the other guests, um, he said, um, are you?" I said, we're watching it from the beginning. And he said, oh, it's Bouncer in it. And I said, no, we're already like two dogs ahead of Bouncer. Like, Bouncer's not there yet. It's, a pre- it's Lucy's previous dog. And then for the life of me, I couldn't rem- remember Basil's name. And it really What happened to Basil? Where's Basil? Me. I assume it's staying staying with Julie. That's where people go. Um, it's like in EastEnders. They go up west or to Manchester. Um, uh, and maybe staying with Julie is like a euphemism for that's where they go at the end of their lives. But anyway, I couldn't remember Basil. And it really it annoyed me so much that about a half an hour later, still on air, I shouted, Basil, 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 Basil. <laughs> so yeah, listen back on BBC Sounds uh, to hear me say Basil. Excellent. Fantastic. Oh, well, who are we kicking out? You can go first, Sarah. Who are you going to kick out? I'm going to kick out Max for... Don't tell your family you're dying when you're not dying. That's terrible. That's that. That's unforgivable. Don't, don't do that. That's just general life advice. Don't do that. There are lots of people I could kick out, but I think that's the most abominable uh, behaviour this week by, by a long stretch. I, I was thinking about kicking out Jim because of mm. his poor parenting, but really he should have gone a longer time ago because of that. But I think it might actually be Andrea. Is her name Andrea? Yeah. Anthea, I've completely lost my show. Andrea. Andrea, yeah. There's Because there's more than one Andrea, of course, in the, the, the canon of Neighbours. Um, so, yeah. Showing up with a child, the claim is somebody's with no evidence. Indeed. Don't think I hadn't yeah. noticed that. Um, but yeah. I was waiting until I'm like, 83 and we get to that storyline before I discuss it with you um but I yeah I think I'm gonna go for her because Bradley I feel there's potential for a character arc and Andrea I feel is kind of two-dimensional annoying yes so nowhere really for her to go is there no 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 well although maybe but can't see it now so that's who's going for me send her to live with uh (laughs) <laughs> to to stay with Julie. Yeah, in the yeah. euphemistic way. Y- exactly. Or to run oh. the Daniels Corporation or wherever. Excellent. Well, um, I think ne- we're going to... W- w- I don't want to make any promises. We're going to try 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 for a guest next time? Are we going to try for a guest? We are going to try for a guest. Um, if there's a guest available, I'm in conversation yeah. with someone. So uh, excellent. We'll see. Um, so we'll we'll see if if it's just us next time. We did not get organised. Um, if it's not, um, great, awesome. Um, I'm very excited for you to let us know the answers to the questions of um, what was the episode of Neighbours that day in two thousand, like today in two thousand and ten, and also what's the deal with Helen's money from Douglas? Because I feel that we have such a community of people who can actually answer these questions. It's amazing. Yes, please help us. We don't have a clue. Not a clue. 
help. Um, and you can do that, like I said, in um, the Facebook group, Leaving Errandsborough, or by tweeting us at Leaving Errands. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing you next time. Take care. See you soon. Well, I'll speak to you soon, and you can listen to it whenever you want. <laughs> that's, that's how podcasts work. Bye. Leaving Errandsborough was hosted by Sarah Gibbs and Rachel Krieger. This episode was edited by John Gibbs. Our logo is by Hayley Charlesworth. Our theme song was mixed by Graham Rawson. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get podcasts. Join us next time when we'll be covering episodes 211 to 220.